Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. One of the greatest fears of people today is death. They fear pending death, maybe if they have some sort of sickness. Maybe they fear the unexpected death. Just a a few weeks ago, there was a traffic fatality on a highway that I frequently drive, and that's always kind of a bit jarring internally for me, realizing that while well, someone died in their normal transit or their normal commute, and uh, and so death can be fearful, but we can die without fear, whether it's from sickness or that unexpected hour. I would say dying at that unexpected hour, kind of not being prepared for death, well, dying without fear might mean that you are always ready to meet the Lord, your soul is in the right disposition, and so forth. And today, I'm very happy to be having a conversation about suffering and death uh, with Dr. Paul Shalou. He has a new book with Sophia Institute Press called Dying Without Fear. It's part two. He has another book on suffering, uh, Why All People Suffer. Uh, and so Dr. Paul Shalou was born in May in 1960 to Paul and Dolly Shalou, the oldest of six children. He grew up in Northern Virginia, attended public schools. Uh, he was accepted in the PhD program at Catholic University of America to study catechetics with the goal of teaching future, future catechists. However, his plans drastically changed when he was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's disease just after moving to Washington, D.C. for his studies. And so this is really the foundation of the work that he's done, and very delighted to have you today, Dr. Paul Shalou. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. And I see that, you know, you have a Ph.D. in moral theology, and the question of suffering, the question of death, that often falls under that category of moral theology. Why is that? Well, it's uh, there really is any other place to put it. <laughs> sure, sure. I guess, I guess uh, it's, uh, it's how you live your life to the best, to the best event, to the best way, and so that's that's in under the prospects of moral theology, and what and what it leads to. Sure, and so Pope John Paul II wrote this encyclical called Salvifici Dolores, and so this was really his pastoral letter on suffering, and speaking of a person that knew suffering, he was one especially that knew it at the end of his life, uh, as he as he himself had Parkinson's and kind of was on that steady decline uh, with his health. So what do you think Pope St. John Paul II can teach us, or what has he taught you about redemptive suffering? Well, actually, he's been a very, very uh, formative figure for me, uh, not only because of the Parkinson's, but because of suffering. And and Salvavich Dolores was was very uh, important because it it uh, showed me that uh, that uh, evil was not necessarily uh, the opposite of good, but it could be used by by uh, and that suffering was and the suffering was uh, the uh, a detector of evil, not evil itself. And he he brought those things forward, and I've been elaborating on that ever since. 
And so in your own health struggles, this has led you to, to write about why all people suffer. And uh, of course, you wrote a whole book about that, many chapters, but in a kind of a condensed version, maybe just a, a simple thesis statement, why do all people suffer? Because all people have needs, and suffering identifies when you have a need. And so um, that's that's what, what it's about. It's about teaching us how to, it's, it's about motivating us to, to fulfill our needs. It's unnecessary, it's necessarily un, unpleasant because it forces us away from evil, which is the absence of good, and um, drives us toward toward the good, which which is God. And um, it, it, it detects evil. It, it, it four paths of suffering, there's four tasks of suffering to take you from, from sin to salvation. Okay. And, and as we talk about suffering, uh, oftentimes in our Catholic parlance, we talk about redemptive suffering. We talk about, you know, people will always say, well, my mother, my grandmother told me to offer it up. And sometimes we say we offer it up for the holy souls in purgatory. So tell us a little bit about redemptive suffering. What is it? And maybe how do you practice uh, or employ redemptive suffering in your own life? Okay, so let me start with the four tasks. The four tasks start with, with uh, the just the general love of yourself that that comes from ch changing vice to virtue. And uh, the first task is to uh, make you feel with with the feedback loops that you normally get. Like if you eat too much, you feel you you feel sick. You eat not enough, you're, you're hungry. You drink too much, you're, you get a hangover. If you don't have the companionship you want, you get you're lonely. These things show you what what you need, and it's God's way of, of identifying to you what you need to get and motivating you to get it. Now, now in terms of, in terms of death, so well, let's go back to redemptive suffering because you asked that question. Redemptive suffering. He, uh, it's when you are willing to suffer for, suffer and. And in, in fact, even die for the benefit of someone else. It builds on a third task of suffering, which is to unleash your love on others. And the second task of suffering, which is to align yourself with God. So all those things build up to redemptive suffering, where you now have enough faith in God that that you trust that he, that he wants you the best interest of you in if you or somebody else in uh, in causing you to suffer. And so uh, the the end of the game is that uh, you 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 are willing to suffer for the benefit of someone else, just like Jesus did on the cross. And uh, that is what that is what is is divine love. Now, when a person employs redemptive suffering in their life, uh, let's say I I have this toothache or something like that. Now, that's something I could offer up to the Lord. And I could make that a prayer. So how do you recommend making that redemptive suffering a prayer? Is it just as simple as saying, Lord, I offer you this toothache for the sake of the poor souls or whatever intention it might be? What I believe is that um, that uh, offering your soul, your, the uh, suffering up for someone else is, is assuming that someone is benefiting from your suffering. And if you're trusting in God, someone benefits from it. And uh, that's what makes it makes it redemptive is that you that you think someone's going to benefit from your suffering and and uh, you, even if you don't know who it is that someone is benefiting from it that you believe in God's goodness enough that that there's no suffering that's that's 
that's uh, un unmeaningful, that it's benefiting somebody. I think of the uh, morning offering that says, I offer you all my works, prayers, joys, and sufferings of this day. So, so that's almost right away at the very beginning. Like, Lord, I'm giving you whatever suffering comes my way today. I give it to you. I offer it to you. You use it. You do with it whatever you want. Uh, would that be, a, so making a morning offering would probably be a very simple way to to begin thinking about suffering and, and the good that might come from it and, and the benefit that it might bring someone else? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, you know, that really plays into something that we call the mystical body of Christ. So that the whole body of Christ is connected. This is really from Paul in his letters and uh, has been furthered, uh, reflected upon by several different people throughout the ages, but that, you know, when one person of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. But as one person suffers, they're suffering on behalf of or for the sake of the whole body. So so it's really looking at this corporate reality, kind of as you mentioned, uh, just like allowing your suffering, you know, to do and benefit others, even if we don't know who they are. Well, that's the mystical body of Christ, I think. Right, it comes out truly in in, in way of the sick. Yeah, in definitely. Way of the sick, that it's it's a big piece of that. That it's giving you the strength to to uh, offer your your sufferings up. Yeah, and you know your book that we're talking about today that's uh, released on June twentieth of twenty twenty three from Sophia Institute Press, "Dying Without Fear." You bring up the anointing of the sick just now. Well, if you want to die without fear. Well, make sure your loved ones are anointed, receive the last sacraments of the church. And uh, I personally believe that there are what we would call the last rites of the church. The last rites are the anointing. The last rites are the apostolic pardon. It's the commendation of the dying. It's viaticum. All of those things do comprise the last rites. So when we try to move away from that language of the last rites. Well, I think we did a big disservice uh, to those who are dying. And and I tell people, you know, call me. Don't call me at the hour of death. Call me, you, you know, a week before. Or And I know death can come uh, as a surprise sometimes. But like if someone is in the process of dying for, for, year, for, for weeks or several days, well, don't call me at the tail end. Call me right when that shift begins. So that they might be assisted by these prayers. Exactly right. They, they, they gives you the strength and the and the, and the uh, insight to to address your, your terminal suffering. In fact, I had uh, last rites given to me uh, when I had my brain surgery back in October because it was a finite ch chance that I was going to die, and and I wanted to be sure. Yeah, and uh, and I'm sure before you went into that surgery, then having that sacrament, being anointed, having those prayers said, that uh, that brought you greater comfort and greater peace going into the surgery. Sure did. Yeah, and and so when we talk about dying without fear, so I think the sacraments they they offer us a great recourse. Living a good life—that's a way that you can really die without fear. Well, what are some of the other ways, other components of dying without fear that you would suggest to someone? Well, you know, a lot of people have these bucket lists, you know, go to the nearest state, go to the nearest thing. What you should do is love. Find ways to love other people. That's a much better, that's a much more uh, effective uh, bucket list than, than uh, 
seeing every state or climbing every mountain or anything like that. Sure. And that's something that we do on a daily basis to love the person in our midst, right? So to love our family, to love our friends, to show care and concern to the person who checks us out at the department store or who is making our coffee at the local coffee shop, that we don't have to treat these people with harsh words. Because when we do, maybe when we go off on the coffee barista, because they didn't put the almond milk in or, or whatever it is, well, then, you know, maybe afterwards we have that remorse. And so if we treat them with love, then there's no remorse afterwards. So so I think that's very wise counsel. Right. A, a kind word said will be will carry much longer than than any of those other things, because none of those other things will last one minute after you've done. Yeah. And so we're talking about death and dying and suffering. We've talked a little bit about suffering. Um, I think that there are people out there who are walking with people as they're in the process of dying. So, you know, it's the wife whose husband was diagnosed with some sort of terminal cancer, and they're getting closer and closer to that hour of death. So how does a person prepare for death? Or what are your recommendations in that regard? Well, there's there's two things. Uh, there's things that uh, you have to, seven items that you need to plan for when you die, and and there's also uh, five needs of the terminally ill. So, depending on which way you're going at it, whether you are uh, just thinking about what you need to do for your spouse or to love it, or or some or your survivors, the uh, things you need to do to do to do is you have to to uh, you worry about the state of your soul. You have to worry about uh, relationship issues that you have outstanding. You have to to uh, so take care of your dependents. You have to put out medical directions for what you want to do. You need to um, figure out how to do asset dispersal and also special knowledge. Like if you know how to do a, do something that somebody else doesn't know how to do, teach them. And uh, finally, a funeral arrangements. Those are the seven things you need to do and prepare for before before you die because you can't do them afterwards <laughs> yeah that special knowledge that you talk about uh as a pastor sometimes i think about that i'm like so we have for example i'll use this example that that we have in the parish a 95 year old lady who does our church linens and she's been doing the corporals and the purificators and washing them and caring for them for probably a good part of 30 or 40 years but there's going to come a day when she can't do it. And I often wonder, are we ready for that day? Do we know how to do this? And like I looked up on YouTube tutorial videos on how to do church linens so that maybe we could train somebody. But that's just one of those things where like someone has knowledge and then if they're no longer there, well, what do you do without that knowledge? Or, you know, as a pastor, I, I'm moving. I, I'm transferring to a new parish here in July. And so it's like I'm making little notes of, Things that I do that you wouldn't expect that I would do so that other people will be able to do them so so that some things don't get lost or, or whatever. So so there is something about that, imparting that special knowledge uh, to, to people, whether you're dying or just moving on in life. Well, if you're dying, you're going to take it with you if you don't pass it on. That's right. Yeah. So, so, so And it's not going to do anybody any good there. So that's interesting you say that. If you die, you'll take it with you if you don't pass it on. Now, there are lots of people out there that, that carry dark secrets, maybe, you know, and so like they take those secrets to the grave. And and I'm I'm thinking like 
maybe sometimes it's important to share even those things that you're not the proudest of in your life, because if they get discovered 20, 30 years after, well, it could tarnish your your reputation or, or your past relationship uh, after your death uh, with that other individual, if you're carrying something and taking that to the grave with you. Well, that goes into the second thing, which is resolving relationship issues. If you have something outstanding like that, you you need to take care of that where you live. Because that person can never solve that problem after you've died. That's the second most important thing you do after taking the sacraments. Yeah, and making everything right with the other person. And you see that, I think, you know, family relationships that have been, uh, you know, broken for 10, 20 years. Someone becomes really sick and they seek reconciliation with the other person. Uh, you know, I, I think that's the worst when that doesn't happen. When that person goes to the grave, they die and they realize, you know, John never forgave me. I never made it right with John. Or or maybe John wants to hurt that person and so does not want to reconcile, does not want to reconnect. You know, so so I guess on both ends, there could be regrets if you don't do it. But then another person could maliciously say, well, I'm going to let this person go to their grave and and not let them uh, restore that relationship. Well, that won't be good for their souls. <laughs> That's right. Right. So so we really have to let go of those things. But I know people like that. I know malicious people like that, that have have allowed their loved one to die. Um you know, without having been forgiven by them. So so it is a reality in the world today. And uh, hopefully as believers, as Christians, uh, it's something that we are able to overcome and to allow Christ's forgiveness, one for us on the cross, uh, and uh, given to us through the sacrament, uh, that we will receive it and then also be willing to forgive. And, and that's the Our Father. Forgive Forgive and you'll be forgiven, really. That's the teaching of Jesus. But forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we'll be forgiven to the degree that we forgive other people. Well, and right, forgiveness, in fact, is really for the benefit of the forgiving person. Uh, well, we're talking about dying and people who might be in the process of dying. And I think, too, just about a parishioner. You know, I don't have anyone specific in mind, but that parishioner of mine who who finds out, you know, I only have six months left to live. Well, what do they have to do in that time? Beside the seven things that you mentioned, well, they probably need to make sure they have their affairs in order. They have to make sure they have a will. How are they going to disperse or care for their loved one? Uh, they probably need a live or they need one of those advanced directives. You know, when it gets close to the end, what is permissible in accord with Catholic teaching that a person can do? And so they have to get all those things uh, in, you know, in line and, and make sure everything will be executed properly. So when it comes to things like advanced directives, um, well, what are some of the things that people should be mindful of as a Catholic that are permissible and maybe some things that are not that they should definitely not uh, engage in in that last uh, weeks or days of life. Well, first of all, there's four there's four th four ways that you can go that uh, choices that they'll give you when you uh, when you are still with a terminal disease. You can fight it all the way, which is a default for the for the uh, medical establishment. You can embrace it with with hospice and and uh, stop uh, all clinical 
treatments and just just deal with pain. You can you can uh, be uh, terminally sedated, which is which is basically euthanasia on steroids. It just you just they put you out, they don't feed you, and you die of that that thing that that is wrong by the uh, ethical and religious directives put out by the bishops. And uh, the other one is you can do patients as suicide, which is also against uh, against church teaching. So you have those choices in front of you, and you have to balance those choices because because you have you have to fight it, you have to live your life, and you have to plan for your death all at one time. And so you have to you have to spend time thinking about those things and how you want to ratio those. Hmm. If you spend too much time solving, trying to trying to fight the illness, you will not uh, live your life, and you will not plan for your death. So you have to you have to spend that time you have to spend the time thinking about how you want you want to be remembered and and how you want to uh, how you want to leave your affairs. Yeah, there is. Can't this, forget the living. <laughs> yeah, there there is this book that I read when I was a hospital chaplain uh, for something called clinical pastoral education CPE. Uh, it was called it was uh, called the best care possible by Dr. Ira Bayak. And it, it was a phenomenal book that really changed my mindset and approach towards hospice. Because in the book, he argues, like, you know, you talk about the person that fights to the end their disease. Well, that's good. You know, maybe it can prolong life, but maybe all those hospital visits and the quality of your life are decreased. So what if you do the hospice route or the palliative care route? Uh, he said in that book, I remember that sometimes these people live longer. They live a year or two longer on palliative care because they're not going into the hospitals and being, you know, kind of exposed to all the different germs and, and things that are going on in a hospital. And, and sometimes that's the case. I know that's not the case with everybody, uh, but, but that was his experience as Dr. Ira Bayok. And uh, it's interesting too, that you mentioned about that assisted suicide, because I think that's something becoming very much more uh, prevalent and prominent in our culture today. And in fact, our television shows are, are kind of imposing it upon us. There were two shows, one on Fox and one on ABC, that their season finale this year focused on assisted suicide and someone, you know, dying with dignity, as they would say, and, you know, taking the last pills or or someone being administered a lethal dose of something because they had some sort of illness. So so it's something that's really, you know, being forced on us, just like some of the other ideologies out there uh, mm -hmm. today in the culture. But that's one that's being pushed right now. Yeah, well, one of the things that I think about is that is that God is the has perfect foresight and he understands what's going to happen to you and he has a plan for you. And and the death that he has planned for you is is made perfect because Someone's going to benefit from it, whether it's you or 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 that or someone that, that observes you. And and what if you had somebody? What if we talk about the thing we talked about a little while ago? You had somebody that came to reconcile with you, and you killed yourself just before he got there. Mm. What would that be? What would that be? you wouldn't know? Yeah, you take a chance. You take the chance by putting putting your, your timing of your view, which is not not no foresight into uh into god's plan yeah and one of the one of the benefits i think of your book 
is that not only do you talk about dying without fear for the sake of the person who is in the process of dying, but you also address it from the the relative, the family member. Your third section focuses on dying and death from the perspective of a surviving relative. It explains typical causes of death, the five needs of the dying, and the role of caregivers, with particular emphasis on tough cases. So, so your book is also meant to be a support to someone out there who uh, might be that caregiver who is struggling every day to care for their loved one. And uh, so you're able to provide some hope for them as well. Yeah, well, I, I just went through this with my mother who passed away on Mother's Day 2022. And so I have some very pertinent life experience with that. And uh, it seems to me that there's five needs of the terminally ill. They have to, they, they uh, want to know what their physical, they have the physical pain that they want to resolve. They they have uncertainty about their medical prognosis. They are concerned about their purpose in life. They're concerned about their social status, and they're concerned about what will happen to them after they die. Those five things have to be have to be addressed by the caregiver in the best way they can. And not all this is not always in the home. It's sometimes at, at an assisted living facility because they can solve some of those problems that you can't solve yourself. And um, and keeping those five things in mind. Um, you can address all those questions about uh, what what people need. You see, they, 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 everybody needs to feel that they have social status, that they that they're loved by somebody, that they that they have a purpose in life. That even when they're on their deathbed, they have a purpose. And and uh, the least concern is their physical pain. That's the least concerning. The most most important concern is their physical their spiritual health. Because people will, people with illnesses will, will see death, as it says in the uh, catechism for for the anointing of the sick. They will see their death in, in every illness, and they will. Um, and some will some will be obstinate against God, and others, but others, most most people will be uh, more become more uh, emotionally mature and see the need for something better, and will latch onto that. And that's the wisdom of the church that's, that, that says that. So, so when you when you are dealing with with someone that you're you're caring for, you have to keep those five things in mind, what they're looking for, and try to help them get them. You can do a lot, great deal of good, and you can do a great deal of harm for for your for the person you're caregiving by by whether you do those five things. Yeah. Wow. And that's great, helpful uh, counsel and advice for the relative, also for the one who's receiving the caregiving as well. And uh, so your book, Dying Without Fear, is going to help people to understand these different uh, approaches to death and dying and how to do so in a holy manner. Of course, uh, I just, uh, as a Marian theologian, I always think about the Hail Mary. And I often will cite this at a funeral, that if the person was devoted to Mary, well, know that at the hour of their death, because they prayed the rosary so often, because they prayed the Hail Mary, that Mary prayed for them at the hour of their death, because they asked her so often, and Mary is a mother who will fulfill that promise and that pledge of love. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. So so as a person dies, being assisted by the heavenly court, by the Blessed Virgin, uh, I think that's something very powerful to think about. Yes, agreed. Now, uh, your book, Dying uh, Without Fear, is available from Sophia Institute Press. 
And if there's one thing you want someone who reads the book to take away from it, what would that one thing be? That uh, you need to love. That love is the, the only currency that's good in both heaven and, and earth. Oh, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great line there. Love is the only currency in heaven and on earth, and and that's really biblical too, because uh, Saint Paul says faith, hope, and love, and of these things, love remains, and and that's because when we're in heaven, well, faith is fulfilled, our belief in God, our hope is hope for eternal salvation. So if we're with God in heaven, that's fulfilled. And so our entire eternity is spent loving God. So that is the currency of heaven, but uh, also the currency of earth. So that's a beautiful thought and sentiment to leave us with today. Uh, Dr. Paul Shalou, who has written the book, Dying Without Fear. So uh, you can get it from Sophia Institute Press or wherever you buy your Catholic books. And thank you so much, Dr. Paul, for joining me today. Thank you.